comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand. With me today is Logan Stump. We're back, Jordan. We made it. Yeah, this time, uh, hopefully, no technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we are going to be having a guest. Who are we having on today, Logan? One of our favorite guests. I mean, we we have we love all our guests, but one of our favorite guests is coming back, Jordan. We're going to get to talk to Chris Smith all the way over across the pond. Um, and he is, if you don't know who he is, he's a freelance writer that covers uh, MLS, U.S. Men's National Team, Canadian soccer for the 90-minute um, website. So all things soccer. Um, and he covers, I mean, he will cover anything, it seems at this point. Um, Chris's writing is fantastic, and we always love reading uh, a lot of his articles and some of the tweets that he puts out. If you don't know who he is, what are you doing? Go follow him. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk to him about Atlanta United and maybe a few other things that are um, not Atlanta United related. But uh, that that'll be the main gist of it. So let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll welcome him on. And we are back from our break, and we welcome our guest, Chris Smith. How are you, today, Chris? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, and pleasure to be here again, as always. Yeah, covering MLS, uh, you cover some U.S. and Canada uh, players as well for 90 Men. Uh, I think your first time on the show is 90 Men fully, or however so f- first or First or second, depending on when the right. playoff show was. I think it might be the first one. Uh, but yeah, so where can, uh, like, I guess... Um, where can people find yourself at 90 men? Is it like 90 men.com or however they can find you when they get on to 90 men? How can people find you? Yeah, it's um, 90 men.com forward slash us. Uh, it'll bring you to the us page, and then there's normally a raft article on there with my name on it. So keeping myself quite busy, or if you prefer to go direct through social media and um, Twitter at cjsmith91. Been a busy man. I mean, it seems like everything that has happened has been through at least uh, some of your writing and some of your sources. Mm. Um, it, it's been fun to watch you. Cause it, it like, I, I felt like Jordan, Jordan covered the league or covered the league before I did. And he also has watched the league for much longer than I have, but it was cool. Cause he kind of had told me who you were. And then last mm. year I was the one to reach out, but it, it's been, um, it's like a meteoric rise for you. It's been a lot of fun <laughs> to just watch you like live through you vicariously, just about what you've kind of experienced um, and you're just kind of rise through MLS fandom. I mean, people know who you are. Um, it, it's cool. You got to hang out with Fabrizio. So that was pretty decent. Yeah. Um, appreciate it. And it's, to be honest, it, it's one of those things when you're living in it, sometimes when you clock off, you, you don't really realize that you've made an effect. Like you just sit there, you put your phone down and watch TV and nothing really happens. And then you look at your phone and there's a million Twitter notifications. You're like, oh my God, here we go. So, but no, it's. Oh, you can't fun. say that, Chris. Say, here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I'm just going to get sued now. <laughs> there's a copyright on that, but what we'll yeah. the we'll have to ask for ourselves whenever we do get a chance to get money. Yeah, but um, no, but it, it's been a lot of fun. It's obviously tiring because trying to keep up with it all and doing it at the moment, it's still on UK time, has its challenges. But at the same time, if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. So, Let's keep going. 
That's why I said it. There's not a harder working man than you, uh, Chris, just because of the, the time difference is mad, especially when MLS does get back when they're playing, you know, eight o'clock games because it's prime time Atlanta and you're, you're, you're staying up and, and watching some of those games or some of the 10 o'clock games. It's, it's mad that you're up. I'm always like, man, this, I'm up, uh, you know, going to school, going into work and you're up uh, still watching for the night before. Yeah. It's, um, I ask for no sympathy because I do it to myself, but um, <laughs> it's good that 90 minutes are very understanding of the fact that, you know, this, this requires late hours on my part and they put trust in me and, and they're also willing to sort of be lenient on having a little bit of a lie in the next day. So we make it work. <laughs> so I guess let's start with uh, a reflection of last season. Um, so fifth place finish in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Joseph coming back for 12 goals. Uh, Miles Robinson really breaking onto the scene. Uh, Heinze, you know, fired. Uh, Pineda coming in and kind of turning it around a bit. Uh, I guess what was some of the big takeaways from it? Because it kind of looked like dire straits at the beginning of the season, maybe not making the playoffs. And then, you know, the manager – Manager change happens. They bring in some new players, but I guess just overall, what was 2021? A, a good season overall or leaving some to be desired? Yeah, I think you got it right just at the end there. I think to say it was a bad season would be harsh because they finished right near the bottom the year before and they've, they got back into the playoffs in the end. And so that's got to be seen as a success given that Joseph was just coming back and not 100% fit and all the, the craziness that happened off the field. Um but still a lot to be desired. Um, and the lesson learned from, from Gabriel Hinkter really was a, a lesson of due diligence. That's a tongue twister, but, you know, uh, just sort of making sure that you, you really scope out your appointment and you know everything about them personally and, and don't get enamored by a name as well because, you know, to the wider community, obviously he's a, he's a huge name. He's played for Manchester United and Real Madrid and, and Argentina national team, but... You know, you've got a guy in there now with Gonzalo Pineda who, outside of the MLS sphere and, and the Mexican sphere, really, no one over here would really know about him. He's not a huge name, but he's come in and his personality has made a huge impression on the supporters, on the players, on the media. Um, he seems to have really galvanised everyone there. And, you know, there's, there's some holes that he's still working through to be expected in the early stages. But I think just to get them over the line in the playoffs and get them playing a little bit more attacking and, the, the signs are there. I think that there's excitement and he's got a lot of good grace now going into the new season. Yeah, it was interesting to kind of watch them. Um, they, and like you said, I, I, I know Stratton means was it a bad season. Um, I think it was disappointing for a lot of fans just because I think Atlanta fans have really come to just expect a, a successful season. And then when, when things kind of started to hit the fan, especially with Heinz, it, it seemed to be falling apart. Um, I remember Jordan and I did a couple episodes uh, where we, I mean, that's all we talked about was mm. just Atlanta United and can they return to form? Can they get Joseph back to doing what he did? And we expected him not to have a Joseph-like season um, just because of the injury and just how, uh, how much of a toll that can take on the body. But um, it did seem like once this team got infused with some of the different uh, ideologies that Pineda brought in, it seemed like they really did turn a corner um, and it kind of leads into the next question. Like it was, there something that he did in particular that you noticed like right away that, you know, maybe he infused into the team or was it, you know, kind of getting more into, you know, a better attack minded um, system. Was it uh, maybe kind of shifting around the way that the midfield had worked? Because I know there was a long time there that the midfield was just not doing anything uh, mm. to really connect with the attack going forward. And I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on Pineda when he stepped in. Yeah, I mean, for, firstly, I want to give a bit of credit to Rob Valentino as well, who really, mm -hmm. in his interim time, really steadied the ship. Um, something that Atlanta United fans haven't forgotten are very grateful for, and everyone's really happy he's still at the club as well, because for a large extent, even when Pineda came in, they worked together still, um, and he had a big part of sort of helping him adjust from his move from Seattle. So very important that he gets a mention. But for us to pick out two key factors really in, in what helped turn things around is the first one as I mentioned before is his personality um, he came in and sort of lifted a dark cloud from over the over the players and got everyone smiling and laughing and enjoying themselves again and again that goes for the media just sort of I mean for my own recollections of being obviously through Zoom but being on press, co press calls and 
you'd ask a question to Gabriel and he'd be very guarded and you know he I don't blame him for this it's just he you know he speaks Spanish and coming through a translator was very difficult and I just don't think he ever conveyed his ideas clearly to the press um, and I don't think he wanted to at times um, whereas with Gonzalo he's very much a very open guy and very happy to sort of really get into the weeds of everything with you and he's, he's a lot more light-hearted and even down to on social media he he gave me a follow after a story I did and I followed him back and just messaged him to say thank you and like he was really like really nice when he spoke to me back he, he messaged me back and said all the best for the holidays and stuff like that you know, just seemed like an all-around nice guy which if that's the kind of guy you want to play for as a, as a player and you know you, you're going to pull that much harder for him um the other one for me really was just letting the leash off a little bit just under Gabriel the possession numbers were huge like Atlanta United dominated the ball but they routinely went nowhere with it it was you know rotated between the center backs and a pass into midfield and then there was nothing forward so it go back to Brad Guzan and it was just recycled constantly and there was no penetration there I think between Valentino and Pineda they just made them more direct got it into the forward players into Ezekiel Barco and when when he arrived, Luis Arujo as well, um, as quick as possible because they're the guys that are going to do the damage and and create space for Joseph as well. So, if they if I was to pick out two key factors, they would they would definitely be them. Sorry, got to unmute myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Joseph returning, uh, you know, not being I guess the Joseph of old, but still, you know, coming back from the very serious injury. Um, what do you expect from him in 2022? Maybe a return to form of the old Joseph, or you still think he's got to ease himself a little bit in, uh, especially to start the season? Um, it's quite a tough one, because obviously I've not seen him up close and personal this this preseason, but based on towards the end of last season, uh, throughout last season, to be honest, there were, there were flashes as we all saw of he put good runs together and and he looked like the more it went on, the closer he was getting to, to becoming that Joseph Vold again. Never going to be an easy process, but he also had to manage that knee quite a lot. And, you know, Gonzalo Pineda made a point of, of uh, made it very clear that that's what he was doing by leaving him out of certain games, bringing him off in certain games. And the amount of games in MLS that you play on artificial pitches as well especially that Atlanta United's home games are on artificial pitches that's going to take a toll on his knee as well but if all goes well with that recovery and you know he's had another pre-season to get under his belt to get fit and and sort of make sure that knee doesn't take any more of a battering then yeah I expect him to get much closer to that 20 goal mark um, when he got the chances last season he had no problem putting him in the net um, but very sharp with his finishing and when he was at his physical best he looked like Joseph, he wanted to go into every challenge, win every header. He was dragging the rest of the team forward with him, and he was really intense, as as you expect from Joseph. So, providing that recovery has gone well, I expect him maybe not twenty goals. I think that's maybe a bit ambitious because he's still going to have to manage his minutes, but a lot closer. Well, he wants to die in Atlanta, so I know that he'll have <laughs> uh, a lot of chances coming up. Yeah, um, as he that's a, that's a lot of years that you're gonna have to play if you're gonna die there. So, um, but it, it does seem like every time that I watch him and, and being an Orlando fan and, and kind of supporting the team there, it it there were whenever he came uh, to the place that he calls home because um, he just rips us apart. Uh, he it does seem that he has just that ability to just kind of get back into form. Um, almost at will and, and he works mm. so hard incredibly hard I don't think people realize how hard he works um, when he's on the pitch his work rate's got to be insane just because of mm. you know he's got a motor that I don't think people understand until you actually see him in person um, he mm -hmm. just seems to have that knack for goal um, which has just made him so dangerous and yeah just a natural killer uh, to be honest yeah he's he's so intense as well that, that's the thing he, he has such high expectations of himself and everyone around him you know when I've interviewed players who play with him currently or have played with him, if it, if you ever bring Joseph up, the first thing they do is sort of grin and laugh <laughs> because you know they they remember how hard he worked them and the expectations that were on them. But it's always in a positive way where you know he he's improved their game by making them reach those standards, and you know nothing else is acceptable for him, which can only be a good thing for Atlanta United, to be honest. 
So we talked a little bit before the show um, about Ezekiel Barco, um, and this has been a com, or, you know, a common conversation that a lot of people had with, um, just kind of what they expect from him and what they expected from him going into last season. I can remember there was a bunch of hype, like if he can figure it out, he's a special talent. He's got all the abilities. He seems naturally skilled, but then it just seems that even if he did play well at certain times, it was kind of just overshadowed by the times that he didn't play well, and it was it seems to be just, it, it didn't work in Atlanta, but I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, he was pictured today. I saw on Twitter where people are just shoving mics into his face as he's trying to leave from what appeared to be getting a medical um, down with river plate in Argentina. But can you kind of speak to Barco and then I'll move over to Dom after this, but kind of just talk to what went wrong with Ezekiel Barco and, and kind of like what's next I guess maybe for Barco, is there is there something that you saw in him that he could still strive and wherever he ends up with River Plate or wherever it might be, and then kind of why it didn't work in Atlanta? Yeah, it's it's been the source of huge frustration ever since he joined the club, really, because when when he's on form, that talent is so clearly there. You know, there's there's not many defenders who can deal with him when he's at his best and. He actually had his best run for Atlanta United just after he came back from the Olympics last season. I think, don't quote me on the numbers exactly, but it was something like five goals and six assists in nine games or something like that straight after the Olympics. Um, really sort of took a lot of games by the scruff of the neck and it was it was a huge defining factor of helping drive Atlanta United back up the table. Um, unfortunately, he never produced that on a consistent basis. It was a couple of remarkable moments here and then long stretches of anonymity there and some niggling injuries, which really I know frustrated him and frustrated those around him because I think that hampered his talent quite a lot. Um, as for what happens for Barco next, I know he said to the press that he didn't expect to be back in Argentina again at, um, at 22 years old. You know, obviously had his heart set on Europe. Um, it's not worked out that way. I still think that he could go there. You know, if, if this loan at River Plate goes well and maybe even becomes permanent sooner than we think, then and he proves himself. There are still European clubs that will, will shop in Argentina. They're not just gonna wait for him to move to MLS and then sign him from there. So if, if he does well, he'll he'll get a move. And the perception in Argentina is that they're signing still signing a really good young talent, even though he's twenty two now and he's you know, he's not quite had the impact. There's a lot of belief that he can still make something of his career. So don't write him off just yet, and maybe this is just the setback that he needs to learn a lesson, maybe, and, and come back stronger. For the club, obviously, don't want to get into it too much, but all being well, uh, should clear the clear the room for Thiago Almada to come in. Um, personal matters aside, is a clear talent there. Um, the club have insisted they're doing doing the, the they're absolutely being rigorous about his background and and the legal case and everything that goes with it. So you've got to kind of, without knowing the inside of his of his case in Argentina, you've just got to trust the club on that one for now. But speaking strictly on the pitch, I would argue that he's maybe even twice the talent that Barco is. Um, that seems to be the feeling in Argentina. So all being well, it should be a massive upgrade for, well, one year at least. And let's see what happens after that. Seems like everybody's casting away everybody. A lot of their failed projects to River Plate. River Plate's just collecting. They had Thomas Pochettino. They have Barco down there. They're getting rid of Julian Alvarez. They're shipping him to Man City, but he's going to play with them on loan. So it's. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like River Plate's like, you know what? We're just going to start collecting all these players if it works out. And like you said, yeah. if we can just get that move to Europe, these teams are willing to, you know, spend a premium. At, at least it seems now in the transfer mm -hmm. market. So yeah, if it works out, it works out. Yeah, definitely. That's it. It's everyone. Everyone gets a second chance, don't they? At twenty-two, mm -hmm. I don't think you can write anyone's <laughs> career off. So it's funny how they'll try that, though. <laughs> well, I, yeah. you know, I, I think, I think that's the beautiful thing about soccer. You know, I mean, when you look at it, there's so many leagues, so many opportunities for a player to continue playing. While, like, if you wash out of the NFL, uh, you're pretty much done you know like you can't yeah. go back to college football and then you there's no other little league like you know mm -hmm. smaller league to, to really play and there's no european nfl anymore like they used to have yeah so uh i think that's the good thing is like yeah you can't cut it here then go somewhere else and then yeah, with all these exactly. leagues having multiple tiers too you know mm -hmm. there's always a need to yeah. be filled 
Yeah, exactly. That that's it. If you fail in the Premier League, you can go down to the Championship right. or or go to Portugal somewhere like that. Right, and right. A bit of a success of yourself, and then that could be your route back into your national team as well. You know, yes, Portuguese league's very well respected, and yeah, that's it for for Barco to write himself. We won't be writing himself off, but anyone else to write himself up, write him off at this point would would be a bit silly because there's a clear talent there, and if he has a great year in Argentina again, they'll be interested again. So. Jurgen Dom is another one that I want to ask you about. And I, I think you tweeted earlier that like, I think the situation was more fluid than people wanted to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that it, there was a poor report yesterday. And of course, Twitter does Twitter things um, where they were basically saying that Dom was out. Dom was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows where I, there was tons of teams that are still being reported that like Dom could be here. Dom could be there. Um, I'm going to guess River Plate at this point, but um, just because of <laughs> my not? chances seem high, right? Um, no, but I did want to ask you just kind of what the situation with Jurgen Dom was. Um, and again, another project that just didn't really seem to work out in Atlanta. And is he staying in Atlanta? Because it felt more like, you know, there were some reports or stuff out today that he could very well just be staying. Yeah, so it appears we have a standoff. Um, <laughs> basically, the club side um, is very much, uh, we expect him to leave. Um, which is understandable because, you know, he seems like a great guy. And from my experience of, of very loose contact with him and those like those around him, he, he's a very nice guy, but the wage he's on is just eye-watering, um, especially in MLS where there's so many restrictions. That, that money could go a long way to helping Atlanta United. Um, so the club understandably want to move him on, get, get him off the, off the salary cap and, and start, start spending that money a bit more wisely. Sources around the play that I've spoken to have, again, maintained the line that he's got two years on his contract and he intends to honour it. So um, I've, I've spoken to some fellow journalists and just sort of tried to see, you know, gauge their opinion as well. And it very much seems a standoff that the player can't win, but, you know, because the, the, the club are desperate to get rid of him. But let's just say it's going to be a battle of wills. And, you know, at, at the end of the day as well, like, Let's not kid ourselves. Jurgen Dam wants to honour that contract because he's on incredible money that he won't get elsewhere. And it's a short career. I can't blame him for that one bit. If I was in that position, I'd be exactly the same. I'd be like, I am not giving up this money. I'm staying right where I am. Can't blame him too much, but the club have got to also make a business decision. So let's see who wins. Yeah, it's like your boss coming over to you and being like, we're... We need you to quit so that way you can go somewhere else so we can free up the salary, you know? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but I've got a two-year contract, so... <laughs> I'm no. going to say it. I mean, I like I, he's, he's got every right to, you know, contract to yeah. contract. So, yeah. you know, if he really wants to, and if nobody offers him anywhere near that money, he's got every right to turn around and say no. And the only way Atlanta United could do anything then is is buy him out of his contract, which mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of money, so... Or we'll, I see. Think you, we'll see. Was it uh, was it Dallas? I think that you can just ship them to, and they'll buy them out for you. They'll send you some money too to kind oh. of just buy out some contracts <laughs> or something like that. Something something like that. <laughs> Dumb wire. Ensuring MLS, MLS there'll be a way to sort it out anyway. <laughs> yeah. Dress them up as an international roster slot, and then send it send to Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte's yeah. Yeah. Want some more. <laughs> Uh, Charlotte's got to do those trades like every year too to keep those international (laughs) spots Um, (laughs) so moving on to uh, uh, Marcelino Marino um, who uh, we enjoyed watching Uh, what has he done to become such a steady attacking option for Pineda and do you think his ceiling is even higher for 2022 Um, the most important thing from last season really uh, compared to the half season he came in in 2020, he's just added more goals. Basically, he's added that end product. Um, everything I saw of him in Argentina before he joined and and then the early signs of him in Atlanta United was he could be this driving force of getting the team forward quickly in transition, just carrying the ball into dangerous areas and then trying his luck when he gets there or make, making things happen. Sometimes he's a bit off the cuff where he just drives into the box and you're never quite sure where he's going. But then again, if he doesn't know where he's going, how are the defenders going to know? So that that in itself has good value. Um, and yeah, the biggest difference is just he started scoring goals. Um, whether or not his ceiling's any higher than it already is, um, 
is difficult to predict because he's already been playing at quite a high level. Um, and I don't personally think he has the skill set to take it much further, but the level he's playing at now is perfectly fine considering he's been bought down to a TAM player as well. Um, I think Atlanta United are getting good value. And for being honest, he was probably their best player last season. Um, he divides opinion on where his best position is. Um, a lot of people see him as a winger. Um, a lot of other people, including myself, see him as sort of a central midfielder who just breaks in transition and he's solely there to just drag Atlanta United up the, quick, up the pitch quick and disrupt the opposition and catch him off guard, basically. And We'll see what Gonzalo Pinedo has uh, has planned for him next season, but another season like 2021, again, you're getting good value out of him. I was going to say, every time I watched him last year, it seemed... I mean, every time I turned on, it, it seemed that he had he was the man of the match or he was close to the man of the match. And, and like you said, it, he is noticeably uh, progressing this team forward in the attack. Like, without him, at times it was like they were stagnant, kind of looking around like going, who, who else is going to do this for us? <laughs> yeah. It just seemed like he was constantly involved last season. Um, so I do want to ask you about um, – some of the depth uh, that they're losing, obviously, and then it'll get us to our next big question. And, and you wrote a great piece on this next uh, this next player. Um, and Twitter was a buzz. Uh, we did a live. Jordan and I did a live uh, uh, for the expansion draft with Charlotte, and uh, we were even questioning why Atlanta United left this next player uh, unprotected in the expansion draft. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, they're going to lose some defensive pieces. Um, they're going to lose pretty much all of their backup goalkeeping depth. Uh, they, I think they've got a young kid in behind Brad Buzan, but it did seem like they were adamant about bringing in some backup goalkeepers as well. Um, but can you kind of speak to one, uh, kind of their defensive depth um, and maybe some of those goalkeepers that they bring in? Um, and then uh, I guess we'll get into the Anton Walk stuff kind of after mm-hmm. you kind of fill us in on what those depth pieces look like and um, kind of how they shore up that, <laughs> that backup goalkeeper because uh, – Brad Guzan is not young. Um, he's mm-hmm. 38, um, which is actually old, um, not 22. So can you kind of just fill us in on the depth pieces? <laughs> yeah, um, obviously in terms of goalkeeping, um, Bobby Shuttleworth's come in from Chicago Fire, so he'll play as backup um, this coming season, which is the role he ended up falling into behind Gabriel Slonina last season. So um, unfortunate for him that he's, lost his place and then walked into somewhere where he's not going to start as long as Guzan's <laughs> available. But <laughs> but um, he's he's a very experienced goalkeeper, a bit of a veteran, really, um, which, you know, that, that's great. You can, you can slot straight in there. Um, defensively, it's, it's all a bit up in the air. I think it's good that they've re-signed Ronald Hernandez because, um, you know, Brooks Lennon seems to be getting a little bit more involved in the national team. So if that takes him out of out of contention a few times next season, then they've got an international caliber player there to come straight in. And he's also comfortable left back, which again, um, the signals coming out the club and everything that I've been told is there's an expectation now that George Bellow will go. Um, so Andrew Gutman's going to be there. who had a good season at the Reb- on, on loan with the Red Bulls. Um, but if he picks up an injury or, or whatever might happen to him, um, Ronald Fernandez can slot in there. So, and um, a centre back at the moment. Well, I'm sure we'll touch on it when we get to Anton Walks. But um, they, they seem to be pretty pretty happy with the three options that they've got. And um, Miles Robinson and Alan Franco being nailed on starters, and then uh, George Campbell sort of supplementing that and gaining experience either from the bench or the odd game here or there, and covering when Miles goes on international duty. They'll need. They'll, I think they'll, they'll need one more piece, definitely, um, right across the back line. To be honest, because you're relying on one fullback to cover two positions that's always dangerous and then obviously if you're relying on a few centre-backs to cover if, if say Pineda wants a tactical change he doesn't really have the depth to do it so there's work to do but they're not in a terrible position all right so you alluded to Antoine Walks um, and you again you wrote a great piece over on 90 men that uh, really explained the situation and Again, we overreacted. I'll admit to it. Just like uh, I think everybody else in MLS sphere, um, and especially I guess and with Charlotte too, um, Atlanta United leaves uh, Anton walks uh, unprotected. He gets selected. Charlotte takes him uh, in the expansion draft. Uh, Twitter goes uh, into the into the trash like normal, <laughs> um, and really just started ripping Atlanta apart. 
Um, but after reading your article, I, I, I really do. I see, I see why now um, Atlanta made this choice. Can you kind of explain um, why that choice uh, might have been made um, and kind of some of the stuff that you talked to him about um, as far as leaving Atlanta United heading to Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, I mean, within that piece, I gave, I gave Atlanta United the chance to have their say as well. You know, a club spokesperson gave me not a statement, but a, a bit of a perspective on it. And it was a business decision. Um, Anton Walks was up against, a, you know, comparing him against a few other players that they could have left unprotected. He was probably going to bring in the least money if they sold him um, compared to a Santiago Sosa, for example, who would bring in a hell right. of a lot more money. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, you don't leave that kind of player unprotected. No. <laughs> so at the end of the day, when they weighed up all their options, uh, he was the choice to leave. And it was either going to be him or Alec Khan who got picked. And, you know, Charlotte had other options to find a goalkeeper. So Anton Walks was a great pickup for them. Um, from his perspective, I think not so much the fact that he's now left Atlanta United. I think it was the manner in which he left and the way it was handled. Um, he was very much planning for a future there. And you can call him foolish for that if you want, because it's such a fluid game and you can move so quickly, especially in MLS, that maybe it's dangerous to start planning a future. But at the same time, you'd, you'd hope the club respect you more to the point where they give you a bit of notice if you were going to be leaving. So, right. you know, he, he said to me he was just chilling out at home doing his thing and then all of a sudden he looks at his phone and everyone's asking why he's leaving and he didn't even know um but for the, from the moment and he said himself and i think is what everybody else was thinking from the moment they saw him on the unprotected list he there was a good feeling that he was going to get picked up so he just kind of accepted it but yeah his perspective was very much just he felt a little bit undervalued and a bit disrespected um by the powers that be at Atlanta United and i think I don't think anybody really needs to needs me to name who that who that is. Um, spoken to Julian Gressel since um, that piece will be coming out next week, but he's had very similar things to say about his departure. Where you know he he was planning for his future there and just had certain expectations, mm. and then it was all the rug was pulled from underneath him very quickly, and it became clear that he didn't have a future there. So it's unfortunate that this is the way that the club operates, in my opinion, um, but. You know, I'm, I'm not in the boardroom and in the front office making those decisions. So maybe there's even a little bit more than meets the eye that, that we've not been told. But overall, unsavory, but he's a great pickup for Charlotte FC and, and they'll be much the better for it. I think that's like, you know, part of, I guess, just the American structure of sports, really. I mean, when you look at how Europe has the transfer window set up, pretty much, you know, the club agrees to the terms, but then the player still has to. Mm-hmm. while over here like there's there's like specifically like baseball and stuff some of those players don't find out they're getting traded until they see it on twitter or on espn mm-hmm. and i think if you're going to have this type of structure like this like mls and american sports do i feel like you should have to talk to the player before it starts breaking mm-hmm. you know like hey we're gonna especially for something like this like sometimes trades can leak out with sources and stuff but something like this where you're going to have to release a list of unprotected players, like maybe telling some of those players like, Hey, we're leaving unprotected. It's because of this, but we really like you. But if you get picked, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know. Something Mm -hmm. like that. No, I I totally agree. And I think even the players that you don't expect to get picked up, like Jürgen Dam Dam was left unprotected. If I recall rightly, no one's picking that salary up, but even so, I think, (laughs) but even so just, just the respect to, to one-on-one talk to every player and just give them a reason. Tell them before the list goes out publicly, just give them that bit of respect, I think is very important. Because even the players who were left unprotected and didn't leave, they didn't get told either. You know, they, mm-hmm. they were in the same position as Anton where they look online and go, oh, well, thanks for the heads up. Um, right. Let's see if I move. Um, I just don't think it's a good way to operate. Um, I think you can alienate a lot of people doing that. That's not the way I'd operate, but... I'm not in the front office of an MLS club, so what what does my opinion count on that? (laughs) (laughs) MLS owners got to be careful, though. I mean, they're getting to a point. I mean, we've had the Kellen Acosta situation when you Mm -hmm. 
when mm-hmm. you know obviously you don't know both sides of the story but it does seem like everything was moving forward with his transfers to you know kind of look at european teams and that's the ultimate goal he's going to get shipped off to lafc lafc is going to have them in his plans for the next couple of years and then that delays Callen's inevitable move i mean it, it it does seem like in this league um and it's unfortunate because i think like what jordan said the way that american sports have worked uh, unfortunately a lot of these owners are those basketball owners or those NFL mm-hmm. owners who are used to doing the cheap shop business where they just mm-hmm. kind of say, Hey, figure it out yourself. If you didn't see that coming, then what, you know, what were we really doing? Or yeah. if they don't have, they just think of them as objects and they're just like, you know what, let's just get rid of them. It's time for us to move on. And again, they forget that these, these young kids, a lot of these young kids have families that, yeah. you know, it's not like they're getting paid a ton. Um, it, it's not like they're the European players that can, that can go without a job mm-hmm. here and there or whatever it might be. A lot of these guys are relying upon, you know, supporting their families in really big cities where they just don't make enough money um, as yeah. professional soccer players. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the Paul Ariola case as well. Obviously, yes. yeah. Kellen yeah. Acosta came out really, really strong on social media, mm-hmm. and you know, fair play to him if he wants to have his yeah. say. That's what that's what it's there for, and every every player should have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Ariola was a little bit more relaxed about it and yeah. kind of <laughs> laughed it off, but still, the point is there that. You know, it wasn't so much that he rejected a move elsewhere. It was just that the clubs were incentivized to move the money around in MLS because of the, the payment structures that are in place and, and how that money gets gets used and allocated. And um, MLS has made a lot of strides over the years to to move in line more with the global game. The way the finances work is one of the biggest pieces now that I like the parity that it brings. I love it. That's right. one of the reasons why I stay up all night to cover the league. But <laughs> at the go. same time, there has to be some kind of change there to move it more in line with the global market if Don Garber is true in his aim to to make it one of the best leagues in the world. Otherwise, some of your good players that are more established that could move like Kellen Acosta or Paul Ariola to Europe are not going to... The clubs aren't going to be incentivized to do it. And at the end of the day as well, I think it just it stops a lot of people from the outside world taking to the league as well. Um, if you can only have three designated players and in their eyes, everybody else is going to be substandard. So why am I bother watching right. it? That's, that's the way I interpret people looking at it based on mm-hmm. my own interpretation before I started covering the league myself and falling in love with it. So yeah, I think the finances need, it needs addressing in my opinion um, without destroying the parity. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, most of these trades are almost like transfers at this point because mm-hmm. they're trading Gam and Tam, and not a lot of like. But back in the day, it'd be like I trade you this player for this player, like it is in yeah. other sports. But it's mostly the Gam and Tam. So why not just make it interleague transfers at this point and yeah. have the player have to agree to terms too? Like yeah, that's yeah. one way to clear it up, I think. Yeah, well, it, it's significant amounts really in the context mm-hmm. of how MLS clubs have spent between themselves previously that this. They're not small sums anymore. They're, they're mm-hmm. growing fast, and I think he's just got to get to a point where where they let the shackles off, and the clubs that want to spend will will do well. Um, I don't think there's an issue. I think it's different to the Premier League, and well, maybe in the Premier League's a bad example to be honest, because everyone's rich now in the Premier League. But maybe in Germany, for example, where you know Bayern are sat there on on top of the hill, and you know Leipzig are fueled by Red Bull, and Dortmund to Dortmund, you know, they get loads of people through through the gates every week and they've got mm-hmm. a, a good financial setup. But beyond that, clubs are working on certain amounts of budget. In MLS, that won't and that and, well, that's why there's no parity in Germany as well, because buying can just outspend everybody. Yep. PSG would have been a great example as well. I don't know why I didn't say them first. Literally <laughs> literally fueled by a state, but there you go. <laughs> but um I think in MLS, the all the owners are that rich. Um, and and that cash heavy that that wouldn't be a problem. It's just down to then the ambition of that owner and that, right. the ambition of the people in the club. You know, give everybody a free reign, and those who want it most will rise to the top. And um, let's see what happens over the years. You know, twenty twenty six World Cups coming up, and maybe MLS can see this as an opportunity to give the clubs a little bit more wiggle room, start competing on more on the Concacaf stage, and try and get into the uh, Club World Cup. That's ultimately how they're going to make a present so let's see what happens yeah that's what logan and i were just talking about at last episode um uh, while we were having technical difficulties trying to get our mm-hmm. guest on we had to fill some time but uh you know that the next cba i think expires in early 2028 so mm-hmm. that's like 
you know, two years after the World Cup, hopefully by then the game here is in an even better space and they're able to make some more strides to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to make it a little more player friendly, I guess you could yeah. say, and, and yeah, fan absolutely. friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. So getting back to Atlanta, just asking about Santiago, uh, Santiago Sosa and Luis Arajo, um, you know, both of them <clears throat> coming in last year, um, Araujo with the four goals and three assists. Uh, what do you think about these two players? I've seen like conflicting things about Sosa at times from Atlanta play, like Atlanta fans. Like sometimes they really liked them, sometimes they thought he wasn't doing as well. But like, what are your thoughts on these two players, and and what steps can they help to make this club go go forward? Yeah, so I mean, Santiago Sosa did divide opinion uh, on the whole. I think he was a good addition, a really stylish player, really nice to watch, and really calm on the ball and. I think if, if the tactics are right and he's given that freedom, he, he can help progress the ball really nicely and give Atlanta United that dominance in possession. He lacks a little bit defensively in terms of his mobility to, to cover in front of the defence and sometimes he can be out of position and he can fade out of games as well. But you forget how young this kid is sometimes. You know, he's he's still 21, I believe, and off the top of my head. And Again, don't quote me on the numbers, but he'd only played about 20 senior games for River Plate before he joined. So this is a kid who's still very wet behind the ears. It was his first full professional season, sort of as a regular starter. And that came in a, in a different country. He had to move away from his home to do that. So a lot of adjustment was needed. And, you know, he was getting up to the pace of playing a professional game week in, week out. But overall, very positive, um, really talented footballer and someone I think that Atlanta United can build around for a couple of years and then probably do the thing that everybody wants to do with these South American talents and sell them on at a profit. Um, Luis Arrugio, um big money signing, big statement signing given you know his success with Lille and he wasn't the key part of that success at Lille, but you know he, he played a part himself and he played in the French Super Cup win over PSG just before he joined as well. Um, so clearly a player with a bit of pedigree. At his very best, he's MVP caliber for me. I, I think some of the early signs I saw of him, I thought this guy's going to fire Atlanta United to a title next season. Like gets the ball and just goes. And he's so skillful. So he, he's skillful at speed, which I think is such a unique talent to have. Is that close control to just be able to take the ball past three or four players? But he's practically flat out sprinting when he's doing it. Uh, not not many players in MLS I've seen that can do that. Um, then equally, he had a lot of frustrating games as well, uh, where he sort of ran down too many dead ends and didn't make the right decisions or was a bit wayward with his shooting. So there's a, there's room for improvement, but I think for a first few months and you know a half a season under his belt, there's a lot of promise there. And as I say, whether he will win the MVP award or not is obviously that's so tough to do, but. He's definitely of that calibre of player. I think if he maintains it over a full season, he's in the conversation. I think he's learned it from Jonathan David and uh, <laughs> Timothy Weah. I think that's where yeah. he's getting all those, those <laughs> skills from, uh, especially yeah. Jonathan David. Lord, that was, uh, what a goal. That was, that was some um, goal, wasn't it? <laughs> it's like, man, if, if we could pull that into the uh, MLS, if uh, yeah. Luis has learned anything, then if Luis can pull that off. We're going to be yeah. uh, legal set on fire. I, um, um, I, d- I described that Jonathan David goal, but it was stupid because the, <laughs> the pass the pass from Fraser as well was fantastic, but the touch yeah. and just the raw speed, I was like that. It's just stupid. No one should be allowed to do that. <laughs> That's like when you're like playing FIFA and you're just like, I'm just going to press circle yeah, and see if it doing... goes in and it yeah. does or whatever. You're like, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I missed to do that. Let's yeah, do that. Um, speaking of some of our boys uh, in the U.S. men's national team, uh, George Bello and Brooks Lennon have gotten called up for that friendly um, and have really kind of um, made a name for themselves in camp. I know Greg's got uh, – or uh, he's got Greg – they've got Greg's attention – Mm-hmm. Um, and Miles uh, Robinson burst onto the scene, um, had, uh, has had uh, wonderful appearances, at least in our opinion, um, for mm-hmm. Greg and has really started to come into his own. But uh, can you kind of speak to one, um, I guess, take uh, George and, and Brooks uh, before you take Miles, but mm-hmm. um, can you speak to the two of them? I mean, are, are there steps going forward that they need to take to get to that next level? I know you alluded to maybe Bello being gone here soon. Um, but maybe what does Brooks need to do too to kind of get that move that he wants 
Um, and then what? Uh, why is Miles Robinson st- still uh, with Atlanta United? I know there's been a lot of uh, head scratchers, and that's one that uh, I'm still confused by because I thought for sure that he was pretty much as good as gone. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Brooks led him first. I, I know we were chatting off air before, before we started about, you know, he's in a similar mold of player to Julian Gressel where it's all about that delivery and mm-hmm. – more of an he used to be a winger, so he's more of an attacking presence at fullback than he is than he is a defensive presence. Not that he's a bad defensive presence. Um, I don't see him as a long term option for for the national team. Uh, it's no disrespect to to Brooks Ladin. It's just that the the talent level in that position at the moment is just so high, and this player is already in Europe and established in Europe. And Sergio Dest, I mean. <laughs> what else? What else can you say? You know, right. he's playing for Barcelona and wherever he ends up, if he doesn't stay at Barcelona, it's going to be somewhere of an equal level. Um, obviously, there's Reggie Cannon. If he gets a good move again, he, he's back in. DeAndre Yedlin's going to be playing regular games again when, when he comes back to MLS. Um, Brian Reynolds. Let's see what happens with him. I know I'm missing quite a few players still there as well. So a lot of competition, and maybe he'll just come in for the sort of out-of-season friendlies when when the European guys are, are taken up. Um, George Bello, yeah. Every, again, yeah, everything I've been hearing is, is as good as gone. Um, he's still got a lot to work on his game. Um, his decision-making in the final third leaves a lot to be desired. And, you know, he, he, he sort of gets into great positions and then fails to make the cross or hits the first man with it or he'll, he'll turn back and... And it'll all start, it'll recycle all over again when there was a clear ball into a striker. Um, and then a little bit of his positioning, really, you know, sometimes he gets caught a little bit high up when he should have the presence of mind to start tucking back in behind his centre-back maybe. And But those are all things, you know, you forget he's, he's still a teenager. He's, he's still working all that out himself. And he's a teenager that's had a disrupted career with with a big injury already as well. So it, there's even more time to learn that's been been robbed of him. Um I've got no doubt that when he does get his move to Europe, um, he'll learn fast off the players around him. He's got a great work ethic and, you know, he's he's got a clear talent that can be improved upon. It's not like you're trying to draw blood from a stone. There's, there's all, all the pieces are there. So, you know, Anthony Robinson, I don't think his position is solid. I don't think he's untouchable at all. I know he, he affected the game against El Salvador, El Salvador and he's had a decent qualifying run but he's not untouchable so George will be looking at that and, and definitely eyeing that spot up yeah Miles Robinson that is a strange one um, at least as a at least as a one-on-one defender he's the best in MLS let's let's be honest you you get a, a winger running at him coming inside or a striker squaring him up you're not beating him no one's beating him he's, he's too he's too fast he's too strong and he just knows what the what the striker is going to do before he does um yeah, Darren Eels explicitly said that he's going nowhere. Um, on the one hand, you can say that Atlanta United have still got to focus on their own success as much as it, it's exciting to start selling these players and, and moving them on. They still have to focus on pleasing their fans and, and delivering trophies. But then at the same time, why is it okay for one player to leave and then another? What's the difference between him and George? You know, if anything, Miles is way more ready to go than than mm-hmm. Bello is. So, yeah, it's a tough situation, but I think he's proven that even playing in MLS, he's got the trust of uh, of Greg Beholder there in the national team, and if anything, he should be a regular starter now. So, we'll see what happens, but hopefully, he'll get what's right for him in the near future. Yeah, that's. Uh... That was that was the thing, like Eels saying, right, there's not even been offers for him, mm-hmm. which we find hard to believe if there's offers for Bello. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh yeah. There's so, interest. There's definitely interest. Yeah. I know I know that for a fact that, that you know there, there are clubs looking at him, but I've not been told anything about offers and it, it would be surprising if there were none. But right, right. He's gone on Eels has kind of put his nailed his cause to the master he said he's not going so it'd be very mm-hmm. strange if he did go now as much as he deserves it so we'll see what the next year brings okay so let's get into uh the, my favorite question here expectations um for a 
what would be a successful season for Atlanta United in 2022? Is it, uh, you know, improving on the playoff performance from last year, or is it, you know, they got to make the final, they got to win the cup. Like what is a, a successful season for 2022? So are we not going to talk about their long-standing U S open cup title? Still champions. It's ending yeah. this year, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think it, in MLS, obviously fifth in fifth in the East was a, a, a pretty good finish for them last year. But if they can, if they can jump up and, and get that home game in the because that really killed them against NYCFC in the playoffs. Is that pitch they just never adjusted to it at all. So the best thing to do is is get in your own stadium and you know your surroundings. Then at least you get the first round out of the way and you're off to a good start. So getting a home game, I think, is going to be really important. Um, after that, to say win MLS Cup, I think is there's always going to be an expectation that they, that's you know that's what the fans want, that's what the fans expect to a point. But if we're being realistic, um, I think that's a, a bridge too far. I think winning a playoff game again and then just seeing where that takes you, who you play next, whether you're home or away, um, as long as they're competitive in the playoffs again and, and sort of. That feel good factor of winning a, a knockout game is irreplaceable. So, and that represents success in, in my view, anyway. I'll probably get pilloried by Atlanta United fans now, but that's what I regard as success for next season. Yeah, I think it's you know it's very tough to ever say like you have to win the title this year because it, it's not taking in account like anything that could happen. You know, it's yeah. not taking into account injuries. It's not taking into account some other team just going on a. Mm-hmm. like historical run like the revs yeah. did like it, it's just very um naive i think at times just be like when, when when diehard fans of any team in any sport are like well this year the expectation is title or bust because mm-hmm. you know it's not very fair if, if no. like uh if you're thinking about that the whole time like like you said just kind of it, anytime i like i'm a fan of the union anytime it's just okay improve on last year mm-hmm. you know just like keep improving on last yeah, yeah. year and you know playoffs are a crapshoot you're never going to know how that's going to turn out yeah it's it's a big league there's a lot of teams and only one can win it um, yeah so to say that you know it's win or bust i think it's, it's like you said, it's very naive and, and very sort of you, you're living in a bit of a fantasy land yeah um, of, of course dream for your team to win of course why right else right right wouldn't turn up otherwise but you've got to have a, an element of realism as of as you say, as long as you're better than last season, it's like in life. If you can finish the day better than you were yesterday, then that's a success, isn't it? So um, incremental growth is more sustainable. And if Atlanta United can finish a couple of places higher and win a playoff game, that's better than last season. So that it's trended in the right direction. So I just want to ask you one question that we didn't send because I just thought about it here. It's not about Atlanta though; it's about Derby mm. County over over mm. in England. Because I think it, <laughs> I think it kind of kind of relates to, like when we look at the model of American soccer compared to English soccer, mm-hmm. of you know they had the points deductions, they they could be going into administration stuff like that. Do you ever see a possibility of England, not like a closed system like this, but doing something to help prevent these clubs from just disappearing? Because I think it's something. Americans are not as familiar with like usually mm. the the teams will always be around um, in our other sports like U.S. soccer. Yeah, we've lost tons of teams all the time. <laughs> but you know, like in in other sports, like that would be a very hard thing. Like they might move to other cities at times, but like a lot of times those brands are so like yeah. uh, familiar and popular that they stick around. But like, what is it like over there to know like some of these teams could just a bad owner can just make that team disappear? Yeah, well, I mean, to a certain extent, I've, I've kind of experienced it firsthand. I was quite young, but growing up, I was an Everton fan, and they suffered terrible financial problems, sort of late nineties and uh, past, just past the millennium. So, kind of not as vividly as Derby fans will be feeling it now, and, and other clubs like Berry went out of business completely, and you know, not as vividly as that. But I've felt that fear of like. What if my club just doesn't exist anymore? Like, what what do you do? What do you point your life at? So, right. sort of thing. And 
it's a scary feeling, even even as a young kid. So I can't imagine what like a, a forty year old man who's covered, who's followed the team for the whole life, and then it's just gone. That's it. I don't. I can't imagine how that feels. Um, obviously, the, the the obvious difference, as you say, is in MLS. It's a closed model, and you buy in. So there's an element of financial security there straight away because mm-hmm. you know these these guys are worth a, a hell of a lot of money. Um, something does need doing about it in England and. And up in Scotland as well, it's the same. Um, The problem is now that so much focus is given to the Premier League that it's obviously, bar the clubs right at the bottom who sort of yo-yo up and down, it kind of is a closed shop anyway. And we saw with with their attempted breakaway with the Super League that they they don't really care about anybody else. Um, Right. And I just don't see where else the, the help comes from financially and structurally. Um, I don't think anybody, anyone else outside that sort of top six and, you know, maybe Newcastle now and maybe Everton if they could actually, you know, sort themselves out. If Farhad Bashiri could uh, start being a responsible owner, then, you know, they, they've got the firepower to sort of influence a little bit as well. But really, beyond that top six, no one's got the power to have a say, change policies, change how the thing, how the thing is run. So unfortunately, I think... It, it's, I think it's going to be something we're going to see a lot more and unless, as you say, they do actually break away into a Super League and then maybe the pieces that are left over in the domestic systems can, can make their own successful model from, from what's left. So, But yeah, it's an unfortunate thing to watch and I don't really watch anywhere near as much English football as I used to because of my MLS commitments and right. it takes up a lot of time, but I still don't like seeing such historic clubs that you know people outside the country may not know how big derby are but you know the, the former english champions on a couple of occasions and you know they get thirty thousand fans in every week they've been been around for a very long time for that to just die would be a damn shame so something needs doing yeah they were just even in the playoff final a couple mm-hmm. of years ago when lampard was yeah, coach yeah. so yeah. just a complete 180 mm-hmm but yeah, uh, sorry to throw that one on you at the last minute there. But okay. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, Chris, for joining us. Where can people find your work again? Yeah, so um, if you go on social media to on Twitter at cjsmith91, uh, Instagram is chris underscore smith underscore mls, and then 90min.com forward slash uk if you just want to go straight to the website. And we are back from our break, and we just want to thank Chris for coming on because he's always a great guest and. Just a fantastic time talking to him. Um, hopefully people learned some stuff from that last question there, uh, just because that's uh, always something I kind of think of. You know, we don't really have that uh, same structure. So, you know, we've we've lost clubs like the Cosmos and, you know, the Tampa Bay Mutiny and stuff, but they were very, like, only around a couple of years. They weren't as, you know, long-lived as some of these clubs that are hundreds of years old overseas and could just disappear. Like, that's just... Mind blowing. Um, not to bring us on a downer, but uh, Logan, what was your thoughts on it? Because I, I I agree with Chris. I think here, just like top four for Atlanta, while you know the expectations were so high last year, and then the manager brought it down, and then they had to end up firing him and bringing a new manager. That it seemed like a success last year because they were dangerously close to not making the playoffs, but. This year, I think some Atlanta fans might be like, well, we're back to being the best club ever. Let's get that title. And, and I do think that's a little naive, naive at times. And especially when you have a league of almost 30 teams and it's just continuing to grow right now, there's not a lot of opportunities. And playoffs just being a crapshoot as they are, I don't know, I think top four and getting that home playoff game would be really big for Atlanta. And with Nashville out of the East, I think it's a very real possibility that they just move up a spot. Yeah, I think or you're two. right. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Um, I think you get better performances out of Joseph. I think, you know, he's starting to come back into, you know, having a year out from that knee injury and having the the ability to, you know, kind of maneuver as he would. I mean, it, there's so much of that is just the normal movement that you're used to making is, is part of those leg injuries where, I mean, you, you really don't get – how much time it takes to get comfortable again, and especially with games that are played with your feet and you've got those leg issues. It's, it's gotta be uncomfortable. So I think getting him back, do I think he gets 20 goals? No, I don't think he gets 20 goals. I, I think those days, I, I never want to put it to Joseph to say, no, he will never score 20 goals again, but it, it does seem 
that those days might be over. However, that being said, I do think that, you know, this team is, I I think they did get better underneath Gonzalo Pineda, obviously. And I think bringing in Luis Rajo um, and having Santiago Sosa for another year with uh, a center back pairing, that's a a really good center back pairing and Miles Robinson and Alan Franco. A lot of people argue that that's one of the top ones in the league. Um, I do think they've got a good defense. Uh, an aging Brad Guzan is always worrisome. I think an aging player, uh, you know, he thinks 38 or going on 39. It's old. Like, I mean, we talk about maybe 27 or eight being old. 38 is old for no matter what position you're playing um, in this game. But it, it, it'll be interesting. I, again, I think they'll have a hard time really servicing Joseph up front still. Like they haven't really addressed those issues. If you look at the transactions that they've made, Nothing strikes me as, uh, you know, guys that are going to fill on the wings. When they're going to use, um, you know, are you going to lose a Jurgen Dom? Are you going to lose? Uh, you've obviously lost Ezekiel Barco, who played most of your matches last year. Um, what are you going to do to replace those guys? Uh, and I, I'm not sure that they really have the answers for that yet. And that that they did grab Ozzy Alonso. We didn't even talk about that with Chris. But again, an aging midfield player that I don't think really has much of an influence on this team, and especially because he plays a similar spot um, that Santiago Sosa would play. So, and, and pretty relevant in Minnesota last year. So at least on the pitch, um, they've got good the locker room presence. Oh, I, yeah. I think that is a big, with how bad this club was off I guess. after the Heinze thing they have, if you have Joseph in your camp for Pineda and you mm-hmm. also have, I'm pretty sure Pineda and Ozzy played together in Seattle. Yeah, I think so you're right. Then you have a connection there, and maybe Ozzy eventually moves to being like a like a, a staff member mm-hmm. with Pineda, uh, you know, next season or something. I don't know. I, I think I think it can help at least keep things settled, and he'll give it it all when he's on the pitch. But you know, yeah, he's getting up there. They're going to lose George Bellow. Um, I do think Brooks Lennon is also going to be looking to move, whether it be the summer or after the end of this season. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You've got a lot of moving pieces. Miles Robinson is, while I, I still, you said it, man. I, I think it's the weirdest thing. I don't buy the fact that there's nothing on the table for arguably the best center back in this league. Um, it just, like, it, it shocks me that he or Walker Zimmerman don't have teams at least looking at the, looking over their shoulders going, gosh, they would look really good over here, especially with center backs at a premium and what COVID has done to some of these teams. Um, it's shocking to me that Miles Robinson is still with this team. George Bellow gets a move before Miles. I never would have called that. And if you gave me a hundred shots, I'd have taken a hundred shots on Miles. Um, but George Bellow leaving is a big miss for Atlanta. So, like and like you said, like I, it, it is interesting. Um, and I, I don't like the whole. Well, they don't really want to, you know, move on from guys because they don't want to just be that club that sells all their players to. Like, who they sold, really? I mean, they loan out Barco because he's not really worked out. George Bellow is the only one that they've sold. So the argument of Miles being, you know... Well, I mean, you could look at, you know, Almiron and... and I guess, uh, yeah. As well, you know, it's but... Been a while. You know, th- that one was such a landmark because it was yeah. really the first time they had done something like that. It, you know, I, I, I get the idea, right? You don't want to... At least not selling them all at once because then you have to plug, like, five different holes. So I can see yeah. if they moved Barco... And they're losing Bellow. They're like, Miles, you're gonna have to wait until January, because we cannot yeah. afford another loss right now. Make help us make a push for the playoffs. Help us win MLS Cup or whatever, uh, or actually help us legitimately win the U.S. Open after a few years, and then we can let you go in January. I think that would be fair. Yeah. No, you're right. That's good reasoning. Yeah. Because um, it may be like if Chris is to be believed, which I believe he is, right? No, uh, I believe is that, him, yeah, is yeah. that there's interest, but there hasn't been an offer. Right. So if you get an offer for George, you're like, okay, I guess we're going to take this one first. Maybe it depended on whoever had an offer legitimately first. You know, Bello gets an offer. All right, then he's the one leaving this year, and we'll hold on to Miles. If Miles got in the offer, that was within what they wanted. Yeah, you know there could have been lower offers, but you That's know true. there was an offer that like was something that was legitimate that they say, okay, well we'll take him, we'll keep George for a bit, and it just happened to be this way. I guess I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't so... think they're purposely holding them back. I, no, I just don't no, think well, that you know. I don't, I don't think know. that's what it is. 
I hope not. Um, uh, I don't think so, but uh, you, you would always, you tend to wonder with the, the ownership like it has been, but it, it, it's realistic for Atlanta to get one of those top four spots. I know I kind of went off the rails there, but it, it's, it, it's very realistic that they get one of those top four spots. Um, I think that you've got a couple of teams that are better than them. Um, I think if they add a couple more pieces too, um, I think, you know, whether it be in the summer or, you know, somebody steps into a big role here and plays a bigger role than what we were seeing right now, or Joseph plays well um, or better than he had, or Marcelino Moreno steps up in a bigger way um, to kind of really propel this team. Uh, this is, I think this is a top four team this year. Um, I know we'll kind of look at it with Nashville gone. Um, you know, Philly still kind of up in the air. We just don't know how Philly's going to be, I think, at times. Um, we would think that they would be up there in those top two spots. The Revs, we expect to be up there. But, again, they're losing a lot of pieces um, and quickly, very rapidly. Um, they're going to be without Matt Turner in the summer because he'll move to Arsenal. So, you know, th- that spot might be up for grabs, and the Revs might be at bottom, you know, of the playoff kind of team now. So who knows? Um, but, yeah, very realistic. Uh, I just always like jumping on with Chris. And it, it's always yeah. fascinating because he's got so many connections to different things, like U.S. men's national team. So he knows a lot about, like, the region and the area. So he knows a lot about these players that are coming up from different regions and different, you know, youth systems and, you know, how they propel themselves over into Europe. And then he can kind of follow them through Europe. So, um, but, yeah, we really appreciate Chris always jumping on at midnight or 1 a.m. or whatever time it is over there. So, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up here, and um, you can follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, or what's the other social media? Is there any other Linktree? <laughs> Linktree Stateside Show, yeah. Gmail. That's what it is. The there email is account Stateside Show at gmail.com. and uh, yeah. Thanks again for Chris for joining us. Uh, next week, we'll hope oh, this is, I mean, actually we're releasing it on Monday, so this is the next week. Uh, but we're hoping to have some more in. We're going to uh, have Todd again after, well, not again. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, he has been on the show before, but I mean, like we tried to get him last, last week. It didn't work out. We're getting him this week, so we'll have him on the next episode. Um, and then we're looking for uh, getting some more lined up here. So hopefully we finish by the end of the season. Uh, by the beginning of the season. We I mean, hopefully we finish by the end of the season. <laughs> so it's Friday. It was an awful day. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great rest of your day. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop It's Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.